and welcome to the November installment of The Shameless Book Club, where we delve into best-selling author Dolly Alderton's fiction debut, the warm, funny, tender novel, Ghosts. Ghosts tells the story of food writer Nina Dean, who enters her 30s with a successful career under her belt and strong friendships around her. And then, well, she meets Max, a tall, clever, evasive kind of guy who told her on their very first date that he would marry her. She loves him, he loves her. For five months, they're entwined in each other's lives and then he just disappears. Ghosts tells the story of how friendship changes over the decades and how terminal illness in a family can sometimes splinter the relationships of those who are hurting. Just over a month after release, Ghosts is already a Sunday Times best-selling novel. Of course, today I am joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Annabelle Lee and Michelle Andrews. Hello. Hello, Zara. Before we get to your thoughts, and I am very very keen to get to your thoughts mission annabelle but we asked the listeners first and foremost what they thought so we are starting today with sarah hi guys i absolutely loved this book so i wanted to say a big thank you for introducing it to us all i was definitely a big fan of everything i know about love and i wasn't really sure what to expect with ghosts having listened to your interview with dolly as i know she talked a lot about the fact that she was trying to be open to a whole new group of fans and readers and that you know not all of the people who loved her original book would perhaps like this one so I was definitely a little bit interested to know how it was going to read but I absolutely loved it the way that she described the life of Nina was absolutely fantastic Team, we want to start a little bit differently today because when it comes to Dolly Alderton, it's not just a singular book we're looking at. I think we're looking at a career that is very highly publicized. She is a person that is almost a celebrity in her own right. So there was a lot of hype about this book and I guess Sarah touched on it well. So let's start with the hype and maybe the comparison people are going to immediately make with Everything I Know About Love. Annabelle, you didn't read Everything I Know About Love, so I'm interested in what you thought about this book before you'd read it. Yeah. I haven't read that book yet. I feel like I'm like the only one or I'm the only young woman in the world who hasn't read that book. It's on my list for sure. I was a big fan of the high-low and I listened to it a lot. So in my mind, Dolly is still a celebrity. And actually for a lot of the book, I was trying to fight picturing Dolly as Nina. I found it so hard picturing the character Dolly was describing because her voice was so strong. So in that respect, that's kind of the only way the book hype affected my interpretation of the book but I really don't think it was a bad thing that she's so well known because it meant that this book could reach so many more women because she already had that following with her what about you Mish what did you think I mean you said then that you felt a little bit guilty or like you were trying to push against the instinct to see Nina as Dolly and vice versa but I actually think those parallels were quite intentional I mean we interviewed Dolly on the podcast just a month ago. And obviously she does want to pull back her personal life from the public eye. But I think this book was in some ways semi-autobiographical. And I think Dolly would admit that herself. I mean, she is a famous writer who had a terrific first release in her memoir, Everything I Know About Love. And she's writing about a food writer who had an incredible first release in Taste and then was following it up with her second book, The Tiny Kitchen. Like on page 83, Dolly wrote, I just really hope this book isn't a disappointment. And I think she was being meta and being intentional with that storyline and that she really was kind of trying to communicate how she's feeling about this foray into fiction to the reader. But Zara, as you said, like this is a celebrity and I think Dolly's career and Dolly's 
entry into fiction writing is such an interesting one, particularly to us, because I think she has such a huge platform. Like she's got 275,000 Instagram followers. Her memoir sold more than half a million copies. She is a huge podcasting identity. And I think the amount of pressure on her with this book is so unique. Everyone else we've discussed on this podcast, every other author has been well-known, but they've only been well-known because of their fiction writing. I can't imagine the level of pressure on someone to be well-known for your personality, be well-known for your commentary and your role in the media, and then to try and carve out a space as a storyteller. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting what you've both touched on this idea of like, well, as I was reading, I was almost projecting, wondering which parts were Dolly and which parts weren't. And I do kind of agree with you, Mish. Like there are parallels that are there for us that we're not even making, like the writing, the dating. And I think it almost makes it easier for Dolly because what it does for us is we're trying to work out which parts are real and which parts aren't, and we're never going to work it out. And so it's almost more vague and more evasive because some things are true. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I definitely feel. For those who haven't read everything I know about love, I think more than half a million copies have been sold worldwide. Her podcast, The Hilo, has been downloaded over 27 million times. So we are talking about a huge platform here and the numbers back it up. Also, when I was reading her acknowledgements, I don't know if you guys are into the practice of reading acknowledgements, but I almost think it's my favorite part of every book. And there was a really interesting line there where she, you know, thanked her friends and she said, particular conversations with friends inspired much of these chapters. So she is at the end very much agreeing that a lot of her life and a lot of her friend's life is part of this. One thing I did want to touch on before we get to the next voicemail is because there's so much hype, I personally feel that criticism is going to be that much more extreme because I think we have a tendency to want to pull people down. And one review I wanted to talk about was one that was published in the Irish Times. I don't know. Did either of you read that review? Yeah, I did. And it made my eyes water. I was so angry. So some of the quotes from this Irish Times review written by Barry Pierce were, Alderton's humorous skewering of dating apps makes this the most culturally relevant novel of 2014. He also wrote that her fictional prose is dense and thick as mayonnaise and that injections of humor fell flat. He also went on to write, I know how ridiculous this sounds, but there were just too many words in this novel. I think I just wanted to start with this review because I flatly disagreed with so much of it. Did you flatly disagree with so much of it, Annabelle? Definitely. I think that Dolly is the perfect person to write a book like this. I hate that he said... What did he say the way that she wrote about the dating world, the online dating world was so 2014? It's completely current. Did you know this? In 2018, Dolly wrote in the Times about how she herself confronted a man who ghosted her to find out why. So she's like so experienced with this stuff and there's, yeah, there's no better person to write about it. And I just think Terry White, actually, the editor-in-chief of Empire Magazine, commented in response to that review, not liking something isn't the same as taking great delight in destroying for effect. And I think that's exactly what Pierce was trying to do. He was trying to ruin Dolly, it seemed. Like he was so harsh, so unnecessarily harsh when, I mean, in my opinion, as a young woman who loves reading about experiences that people my age are going through, thought that Dolly did an incredible job. I mean, I've never met anyone called Barry who isn't a white guy who thinks that they can be the gatekeeper of the female experience. And I think it's hilarious that this reviewer was clearly being so snooty and insular with who can be welcomed into the literary world. I truly think that 
some people in fiction writing want to treat fiction writing like it should be exclusive, like not everyone can do it and like it's different to non-fiction memoir writing. And I think a lot of people would have turned their nose up at Dolly Alderton because she speaks to young women about things that men tend to think are silly and frivolous and stupid. And I think that review was certainly symptomatic of that. And I don't believe any of it. I read that review before I read the book. And now that I'm hearing those quotes again, I'm like, it couldn't be further from the truth as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. I also read it before I read the book and was still astounded at how harsh it was even beforehand. And I think it just definitely plays into that idea of like, you know, the the girl band follower. Remember when Harry Styles gave that very, I don't know, powerful quote to Rolling Stone magazine about how young women know and are on the pulse of what's popular and that doesn't make them stupid. It actually makes them kind of insightful and, as I said, on the pulse. I want to get to Christine's voicemail, though, because I do desperately want to talk about our favorite characters because, boy, oh, boy, did I have some. So this is what Christine had to say. Hi, Zara, Michelle and Annabelle. I'm Christine. I'm from Perth in WA. I just wanted to check in about Ghosts. It was a fantastic book. Really loved the story of friendship and what makes us who we are. Shout out to Lola, the best character. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Mish, I will start with you. Tell me about your favourite character from the book. Christine. Christine, 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 I could not agree with you more. Mandy. Lola was, Mandy, Mandy's great, but Lola was fucking awesome. She was amazing. I could almost hear, I feel like she's one of those people who jangles when she walks because she's wearing so much stuff and like she would be layering all this jewelry that she probably has been wearing for years. And one of those people with a million different rings on their hands, like, I was enraptured by her spirit and her energy in this book. I so completely believed the character in that she was obsessed about astrology. She was such a hopeless romantic. She was also such a people pleaser and just full of life and full of energy and so great in any social situation. She just felt so believable. And I think that's so important to me with a book. I really, truly need to be able to see and believe the characters and feel like they're realistic. And to be honest, I think Lola wasn't just my favorite character of a book in 2020. She might just be my favorite character ever. Big call. It is a big call. Do you agree, Annabelle? I do. I loved Lola. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like, oh, you're going to hate me for this. I feel like she was maybe a bit predictable. Like she seemed like a formulaic kind of best friend character. You know, like the the character next to the, the main character who is the bubblier, zanier one of the two. I loved her, but I just I'm felt grumpy. like I've seen You're making her me grumpy. Or I've read her before. <laughs> Annabelle, you make a really good point because one thing I had written down here, don't get me wrong, Lola was my favourite character by far and I do want to read out some of my favourite lines from her in a second, but one of my overriding thoughts was would it be the same if Lola was the main character? Like I think part of the reason she was so charming and people loved her so much is because she played that sidekick role that we see so often in every movie. I mean, I have two favorite quotes. One had me cackling on my couch and one just like made my heart full. So I'm going to read them for you. My favorite quote, I think for the whole book, I told Michelle to wait for it. Like I texted you full words and I was like, wait for this bit because I loved it so much. And it was when Lola says to Nina, I know this is so awful right now, but you just have to trust me when I say you shall not pass. And Nina goes, what do you mean? And then Lola goes, You shall not pass, she repeated sagely, (laughs) giving me a gentle smile. Pass where? 
It's a phrase my mom used to say to me when I was dad. It means this will end and at some point then you'll be happy again. <laughs> Nina goes, this too shall pass. And Lola just goes, yes, exactly, it will. <laughs> you know who she reminded me of? If anyone has watched the film Notting Hill with Julia Roberts, the character yes. of Lola reminded me exactly of Honey in that the film. Sister? Who was the zany best friend. Yeah. yeah. The zany sister. I think she was sister and best friend hybrid. Oh, and she yes. in my mm. head the entire time when I was reading Lola I'm like this is honey from Notting Hill that was amazing and then this other line towards the end was so so beautiful I just I kind of want it's one of those lines that I want to have written down in my phone or something to come back to and it's just after Max has ghosted Nina again and Lola says to her I don't want you to give up hope and then Nina says I think that might have already happened and then Lola says I know then you should give your hope to me what do you mean it's like when Joe said in his groom speech, love is being the guardian of another person's solitude. Maybe friendship is being the guardian of another person's hope. Leave it with me and I'll look after it for a little while if it feels too heavy for now. Like that does make me a bit teary because you think of all the times that you've been through and had friendships where your friend is going through something really hard and you're like, how, how do I help them? Like how do I help them mm. beyond just telling them that it will get better? And I think that was the first time I thought maybe your role is just to be there and show that there is hope and hold on to that hope for them for a little while. Like it's just I felt like it was very profound. Annabelle, who else did you love in the book? <laughs> very predictable for me to like the main character the best, but I loved Nina. <laughs> really? She, what? <laughs> Michelle's face. I just felt like she was a very well-rounded character. She was very funny, smart, and I felt like her observations, <laughs> Michelle, trust me, she's great. Her observations were so glaringly true. I actually wanted to read out a couple because I thought they were funny. The first one was Nina said, I have yet to encounter a more widely accessible exercise of extreme narcissism than that of being the protagonist of a Hindu. I just, <laughs> yeah. she, was, <laughs> she said so many things that were so true that you just never really like articulate in real life. Michelle, would you like to rebut me? <laughs> I mean, you have seen my face absolutely fall while you were saying that entire thing. And let me preface this by saying I really enjoyed Ghost. I loved Ghost. It was a really enjoyable read. However, the main character of Nina was almost invisible to me. Like I know that's quite ironic, but I felt like she was probably the least developed character out of any of the characters explored in this book. I agree with you, Annabelle, to the extent that I thought Nina was a great narrator, which is, of course, what you need in a protagonist. But as far as Nina the person goes... I had nothing. I couldn't see her. I couldn't imagine how she'd engage in a social interaction. I could see all the characters around her, kind of like a solar system operating, like orbiting around Nina. I couldn't see Nina and I felt like she was probably the least fleshed out character in the whole book. What did you think, Zara? I don't know if she was the least fleshed out character in the whole book. Perhaps that goes to Angelo, who we might get to later. <laughs> oh, God. But I, I think I'm between the two of you. I did really like Nina, but I struggled to picture her. And I think when I get to the end of the book and I'm like, I can't see the actress who's playing this. Like, I don't know. Is it Natalie Portman? It is someone that looks different. Like, you know, when you just can't picture it, you realize it's maybe a bit of a red flag. One character who I could picture so fucking well, almost better than anyone in the entire book, was Franny. And Franny was my second favorite character easily. The initial, I think it was the initial description of Franny from Dolly Alderton where she wrote, 
We were greeted by Franny, the maid of honor, Lucy's best friend, and professional soprano, which I have always found is an entire genre of a woman. They were normally in possession of very large breasts, which they had developed at a young age, and therefore had quite a sense of imperiousness in any female group. They were angry at everyone while also being jolly about <laughs> everything. And then the descriptions of Franny at the hens do, like standing on chairs, being an absolute yeah. chaotic mess, and then like screaming at people to drink <laughs> in the drinking games. I mean, they drink, drink, and just no <laughs> franny. Am I the franny? No, I mean, you're not a franny. You're not. I don't think any of us are, but I can absolutely remember like the franny at schoolies who would like take on as like the mother hen of the group who would <laughs> mm. be like taking care of you when you're drunk, but also annoyed at you, but also encouraging you on. Like it's such a specific kind of person, but I agree she nailed it. I thought you were going to say your second favorite character was Mandy slash Nancy because I could see Mandy slash Nancy so well, particularly when she really got into like yoga and like when she kept mispronouncing Pilates as Pilates. Like <laughs> I loved that character so much, particularly the mother-daughter relationship between Mandy slash Nancy and Nina in that there really was this very, very short fuse where Mandy could say something innocuous and something that really wasn't that offensive, but Nina would just find herself exploding and get incredibly frustrated. And that is such an underexplored feature of mother-daughter relationships that I myself would like to understand better. Did you notice that, Zara? Yeah, I did. I loved the relationship between Mandy slash Nancy and Nina because I felt like it was incredibly realistic and I felt like the resolution between them was very realistic when they began to understand each other a little bit more. Annabelle, did you have any other notable mentions, anyone else worth remembering? What about Catherine? I feel like she's worth mentioning here. Catherine. Yes, Catherine. I actually had to think about who that was. Okay, so no impact on me. <laughs> no, I think I liked her a lot more by the end when she rocked up at Nina's house and they had that kind mm -hmm. of moment where they understood each other a little more. She was obviously kind of unlikable at the beginning, but... I don't know whether it was maybe a fair depiction of a young woman going through motherhood and becoming mm. a parent for the first time. I've never experienced my friend going through something like that, so I couldn't tell you from personal experience, but it just seemed maybe a little harsh. I think you're right. It felt quite extreme, but then I guess all of us are coming from a perspective where we don't know. I mean, Miss, your sister has recently had a baby, so maybe you're the one that can speak to this the most. Imagine if I came on this podcast and was like, Catherine's exactly like that. They would <laughs> absolutely come for me. No, I, I do think it was slightly dramatized, particularly given my experience. Like, of course, things change when you have a baby. Maybe not to that degree. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe Dolly was speaking to personal experience herself. I can certainly imagine it. What I did really like about the depiction of that friendship was how in your mid to late 20s to what I'm guessing is your early to mid 30s, all decisions are very loaded and you think that other people's decisions are a reflection of how they feel about your decisions. And I really did like the slight tension and the slight conflict that arose when Catherine did say that she wanted to move out of the city and she did want to opt for the like very modern four-bedroom family home an hour away. I felt like that was actually quite accurate because I feel that even as I'm growing up, when I'm making big decisions about my life, it's like, well, well, 
what will this person think about this? Because they haven't made the same decision and are they going to judge me for making the decision that I am? And that's such a peculiar feeling, but it is absolutely something that is very observational from Dolly Alderton because it's something I've felt the older I've become. Absolutely. And we have so many more characters and so many more storylines that we want to touch on in particular about the relationship between Nina and her father, one of the kind of most tender and emotional parts of the book. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey girls, I just wanted to say this book was so much better than last month's. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This book didn't just talk about the ghosts of dating. It talked about how Nina's dad had dementia and he was turning into a completely different person and the way that she grieved, the ghost of who he used to be was just so raw and powerful and also it wasn't just the ghost of her dad's old self, but it was also her mum because her mum was also turning into a different person as she was becoming a carer, but she was also in denial. And it was just so insanely good. Thank you so much for picking this one. Oh, I think this is one of the parts of the book that I've been most looking forward to having a conversation about. Annabelle, let's start with you. When Patrice said she was very moved by, you know, the title of ghosts, not just being about dating, but about being the ghosts of her father's past and her mother's past. How did you feel when you were listening to that? And how did you feel about that storyline in its entirety? I completely agreed with Patrice. I thought that storyline with Nina's father, it was one that I wasn't expecting firstly, but I found that storyline definitely far more painful and tended to read than the ghosting in Nina and Lola's romantic lives, as mortifying as they were. But yeah, I thought the the dementia was explored really well. And I actually thought the link that Dolly made between dementia and nostalgia during the, the middle of the book as well and the, the new book that she wanted to write about nostalgia and food was really lovely. And it was a really nice way to make sense of what it might feel like to have a loved one go through something like that. Comparing that pain associated with being ghosted by a stranger romantically to the feeling of like familiarity and home and a painful disappearance that is of her father's mind. And I think that contrast was really well done throughout the book. What did you think, Mish? I loved it. I thought it was such a gorgeous, poignant parallel. And I think the story of dementia and what it actually looks like on a day-to-day basis was told really well as well. I think the way Dolly told that story and that sometimes they're there and those moments can feel so wonderful and so bright and so brilliant. And then other moments, they're not there at all. And those moments are really terrifying and scary because you just don't know where they go. It really does feel like a ghost that wanders in and out of a room. It's like, where has this person gone? And then the next morning they'll wake up and know you and know your name and know your face. And it's just this complete roller coaster of a human experience. And I also really loved the character of Bill and how he was a teacher and how he had left such a mark on so many different people's lives. I think that was also a really beautiful touch, the exploration of how, yes, maybe in the present moment he was gone or he was elsewhere, but the memory of who he was would always live on in Nina, in her mum, but also in all of the students who he really helped. Zara, what did you think? Yeah, I actually don't think I've read much about dementia and Alzheimer's in mainstream fiction. And I don't know if that's because I'm not looking for it or if it's really just not around much. But 
I wonder too if it's because it's just not a pretty thing to write about or live through. And I do feel like most people reading this could relate to having a family member and watching a family member deteriorate in a similar way. And I think for me, I was very moved because I felt like it gave me a really important perspective on the relationship between a child and a parent when a parent is terminally ill in this way. And it gave me a really important perspective on my grandma and my mum because my grandma was quite sick for a very long time before she died. And yes, as a grandchild, it's, it's hard to watch, but I don't think you can ever really appreciate how hard it must be for a child. Like then if I put myself in the child's shoes, it must be almost impossible to see the person that's always protected you and always been there for you and always raised you to then literally watch their mind deteriorate before you and often forget Mm. who you are. And I think one thing I found really beautiful was this passage and I can't find it for the life of me. I didn't take a photo of it and I didn't get the page number up, but You guys might remember there was this passage of the book where Dolly Alderton wrote that Nina had this point of reckoning a little bit about her dad and that, yes, the dementia was changing him entirely, but it didn't change the nature of his soul. Like it didn't change his makeup. You have it? Um, And it it changes their actions, but not their soul. And I don't know why, but I think I found this bit in particular comforting that the loss of someone feels so much less intense when you recognize the fact that their soul will always be the same. This passage made me ball. So the passage you were looking for was on page 297, and this is it. I'm going to try and read it out and not cry. As I watched him surrender to the silly, untamable joy of hysterical giggles, I realized that while the future might strip him of his self, something mightier remained. His soul would always exist somewhere separate and safe. No one and nothing, no disease, no years of aging could take that away from him. His soul was indestructible. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I think the fact he was a teacher, as you said, Mish, is just like that much more powerful because his soul does live on in the people that he had an impact with. And I think it's a very lovely metaphor for how all of us can and should live in that, like leaving that impact means that no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to our minds or our brains, no one can take that from us and no one can take that from our parents or our grandparents when we go through it. One thing I did want to touch on is the marriage between Mandy or Nancy and (laughs) Phil, because it was a very, very strong part of the book for me, this idea that there was this huge age gap, this idea that, you know, Mandy slash Nancy, I don't know what we're going to call her. Let's call her Mandy. That's what she wants to be called. Mandy had never been the protector. She'd always been the protected. Were you very moved by that too, Annabelle? I was. And I made the conscious effort not to villainize Mandy. I mean, I didn't really like her at the beginning, but I think that relationships like that are always more complex than we think. And there are reasons behind her action or inaction in, in this circumstance. But yeah, I, I thought that the dynamic between all three of them as a family was very interesting, which is again why I thought this dementia storyline was probably very heartbreaking for a lot of readers because you can maybe put yourself in certain people's shoes, like in Nina's shoes, for example, and feel what it would be like navigating two parents that are struggling. I have a bit of a curveball that I picked up in this marriage, and I want to know if you two agree with me or not. I mean, Nina often spoke quite negatively, fair enough, about men who leave these huge age gaps in relationships. She spoke about Max and also about Lola's boyfriend, whose name escapes me, the magician, who 
can really fuck over women, who can play around with love and have no consequences and who can settle down at 40. And she often spoke about this, how frustrating it was because women can't be fucked around in their 30s. If you want a family, you really need to be serious about it. But men do have this extra time. And I kind of found it interesting that that really was mirrored in her own parents' relationship. She did mention her dad only settled down at 40. And I wonder if that was intentional to show that, yes, as disparaging as she was of the these men, perhaps the man she loved more than anyone else in the world was also that person when he was a young guy. Yeah, I don't find that a flaw at all, though. I think you are absolutely bang on in a sense that like there are so many more layers to the men who are obviously doing the ghosting. They are not one dimensional and the men that have the power aren't always ones that are going to misuse it. But I just think that age gap in particular spoke so much to how kind of fragile Mandy was initially painted when she was younger like it was almost like she was this tiny little thing that was always protected and always looked after and didn't know the world without Bill and the flipping of that was so much more powerful with that huge age gap. Now let's actually get onto the stuff that wasn't as powerful the flaws in this plot the flaws in the book we always talk about them here are Alyssa's thoughts. Hi girls. I enjoyed the majority of this book. I thought it told a really good tale of ghosting and letting people back in and of course the woes of online dating. I thought the relationship between her and her ex was a bit odd though and almost too close but then I totally understand people have all sorts of different ways of dealing with breakups especially if it's been amicable. I found this a pleasant read until one of the final scenes with her neighbour which occurs about 93% of the way in the book. I just... There was just no need for it whatsoever. I totally didn't believe the story at all, for one, and it also the way it all happened, it just seemed out of sorts for the character and I just felt it was totally unnecessary. I understand there needed to be a scene in which the things all came to head and then were resolved, but this just wasn't the way to do it for me. I don't know. I liked this book. It had a lot of potential for me, but I didn't love it. I didn't hate it either. I'm looking forward to seeing what rating you girls give the book this month. Thanks. Bye. Annabelle, 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 I feel like I have to lead you and say, let's talk about Angelo to start. Oh, God. That Angelo plotline, I think, ruined the book for me a little bit. Like, I still loved it as a whole. At the very beginning, when Angelo was introduced, I actually suspected something might happen between them near the end of the book. But then when Angelo began being painted more as like a danger rather than a love interest, I let that prediction go. Like, I was like, no, definitely not. So then when it actually did happen and they had sex, I thought it was kind of unbelievable and very strange to me that someone Nina feared like so deeply throughout the book became like, I don't know, a lover? A once-off lover. (laughs) I just can't help but laugh. Mish, what about you? I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I couldn't believe it. I found it to be so incongruous with the rest of the novel. I mean, and you said then, Annabelle, that you thought at the beginning they would get together. I didn't. He called her a whore. The first time they ever interacted, she asked, where are you from? He said, Beldraca. She went and looked up the definition of that or where that is in Italy. It translated directly to whore. I find that for a feminist novel, and I do consider this to be quite feminist in a lot of its messaging and a lot of what it communicates, I found that to be so bizarre that this man who was not only 
disgusting. I think anyone who calls a woman a whore is pretty sexist to begin with. But also menacing. He had sworn at her. He had been belligerent. He had shaken, like angrily, like clenching his fists in doorways and stood over her and been intentionally intimidating. I found it to be completely unforgivable that this was a scene in the book. Zara, I'm guessing you're the same? Yes. And I was so fucking confused that the excuse they gave for why he was such a belligerent dick this entire time is because he had been cheated on. Like, don't get me wrong. Being cheated on is not an experience I would wish on anyone, but I do not think it gives you license to treat people in the way that Angelo treated people. I mean, I actually genuinely wonder, did you even need Angelo as a subplot? No, Like, he wasn't believable. He felt like a caricature to me, and the sex just fucking snuck up out of nowhere. Like, I had whiplash. I had to reread it, like, two or three times to make sure I was reading it correctly because it honestly felt a little bit like... A parody. Like I was watching a film and one of those parody scenes just kind of played over the top and then it ends up being a dream. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. I think Dolly was trying to be edgy. She must. I think she felt like the book needed an edge or needed something to spice it up and I actually think that was a mistake. I don't think it needed this at all and it would have been far stronger without it. But because the book didn't need it, that's why I thought something would happen there because I was like, why else would you introduce a character, like a random character at the beginning if not to create some sort of like friction in Nina's love life. But then he turned out to be like, I thought maybe he would really change (laughs) throughout the book, but he never (laughs) did until the very last moment, which was very a strange move. Mm. Yeah. Alyssa also in her voicemail touched on Joe and the relationship between Nina and Joe as exes and now best friends. I wonder if, you know, I'm a bit close-minded about this, but I have to say, I'm so sorry. Can you actually date someone for that long and be best, best, best platonic friends without it being complicated? Because as much as they tried to pretend it was complicated from time to time, like when Joe met Max, I just don't think that it was a very complicated relationship at all. It seemed very straightforward and I just, I just can't see it happening. But also maybe this is just me thinking through the prism of my own experience. Annabelle, what do you think? I felt the exact same. I feel like maybe we're all on the same page with this. This part of the book or this aspect of the book, Joe and Nina's relationship, felt very My Best Friend's Wedding to me. Have you guys seen that movie with mm, Julia Roberts? I agree. But in a bad way. Like, I love that movie, but it has its problems. Like, I hate that Cameron Diaz's character in that movie and Lucy too seemed the same. Like, they were kind of maybe more traditional but kind but still made out to be unlikable in a way, which I didn't enjoy. And then the emotional bond between Nina and Joe seemed far too strong to be acceptable in my books. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you said then – Annabelle about Lucy and how Alderton was potentially trying to depict Lucy in an unlikable way. I found that actually to be really interesting. One thing that stood out to me was that Nina's character was really perplexed that Lucy would feel odd about her being in the wedding party when they had dated for seven years or wasn't really keen on everyone knowing that they were boyfriend and girlfriend for so long. I felt like that was the most understandable expectation from Lucy ever. Like I was surprised that Nina's character couldn't get her head around that or was perplexed as to why someone might feel a tiny bit threatened about their fiance still being best friends with their ex of seven years. It wasn't like they dated for seven months. It was seven fucking years. That's a a lifetime for a kid. It's a lifetime. (laughs) I mean, it is a lifetime for a seven-year-old child, yes. (laughs) But Lucy herself presents a plot hole for me. For such a feminist novel, 
I found the commentary about other women, in particular Lucy and sometimes Catherine, to not only be bitchy but to be mocking. Like when she criticized Lucy for having a mug with like everything's better when you're in Paris or something about she's obsessed with Paris and really loves Paris. I think when I considered that, I mean, I agree with both of you about Lucy. That was the one thing that I thought, I wish I wasn't being led to dislike Lucy or I don't know if it's not dislike, it's you've got some weird undertone about Lucy. I'm not meant to be in love with Lucy. That's definitely not how I'm meant to feel. And I felt uncomfortable about that because I thought, why does the woman that comes next always have to be the one we hate when we are meant to love Joe? That said, Mish, she did also very much mock the hopeless men in this book, the hopeless fathers, the ones who put all of the parenting and the emotional labor onto the woman. I don't even think she was potentially mocking Lucy when that mug was brought into the fold, but it felt far more to me like an explanation for Nina and Nina's sort of, Nina felt a bit cynical and Nina felt a bit judgmental and Nina felt a bit insecure about other people's choices given where she was finding herself in her life. So I don't know, I'm I'm a bit on the fence with that because I don't know if it's all very anti-feminist. I mean, Dolly Alderton mocked a lot of people and pointed out a lot of people's flaws in this Mm. book. That's fair. That's really fair. And to be honest, it was just a small feeling. It wasn't like I was reading it going, this is so anti-feminist. It was just (laughs) like a, a niggling feeling that often... I felt like women were depicted in really unlikable ways, but maybe a lot of the characters at their heart had some quite unlikable tendencies and it was just about exploring complexity. I have another plot hole that I want to put to you. I don't understand why Nina never confronted Max and went to his apartment the first time he ghosted her. For a woman who was so self-assured and was quite headstrong, I would say, in that Nina often referenced things like, why can't I call him after the first date? I just want to jump on the phone with him. What's with all the texting? I would say someone who says that is quite sure of herself and quite gung-ho about dating and doesn't really fuck around and isn't very timid. For someone like that to then not even go to their boyfriend of five months who told her he loved her, not even go to his flat and confront him seemed illogical and unrealistic to me. I don't understand why it was never even a question that Nina could go to his apartment when she seemed like the kind of woman who would do that. Annabelle, did you sense that? I think that perhaps, I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but like she has that kind of like quote-unquote cool girl characteristic and for a cool girl to do that and confront a guy and potentially make herself seem not cool like not chill is something that she wouldn't do but I did think it was interesting that she ended up going to Lola's what's his name Jethro yeah I did think it was interesting that (laughs) she ended up going to Jethro's house and kind of giving the same spiel of why did you do that like why would you ditch my friends like that to Jethro and it seemed like kind of a projection in the moment she wanted to say something to Max but felt like she couldn't because she was trying to keep it chill. Yeah it felt very much like to me that there are all these weird dating rules that a lot of people feel like they need to follow and that they're a bit nuts or crazy if they don't and I agree it really annoyed me Michelle because I think we would all like to think that if it happened to us we would go to that person's house but god knows I mean it's not happened to me so I don't know. The last thing I need from both of you though of course of course I hope you've prepped Hope you've written it down. (laughs) What are your final ratings for the book? Mish, I will start with you. Look, as much as I just pointed out those plot holes and there were things like there are in every single book that stood out to me as question marks, I adored this read. I read the first 100 pages in a day and then polished off the book the next day because I was just enthralled with the plot line. I genuinely think Dolly Alderton is one of the best writers of our generation. I would give this 
a nine out of 10. If it didn't have that scene with Angelo, I would have probably given it a 10 out of 10. I absolutely, I so enjoyed it. I think I need to enjoy a book and I need to find it fun and entertaining. And this was everything except for that Angelo scene. Annabelle. I feel like, Zara, you've said in in an episode before, you need to write all these ratings down and actually categorize them because I don't know where this book sits among the others, but I want to give it an eight. Like, I loved it. I thought it was a fun read. And I agree with you, Mish. I think Dolly is a really good writer. But there were just... The ending really ruined it for me. I'm sorry, but Angelo, you ruined the book for me, buddy. God, you need to find a copy of Ghosts where Angelo's just blanked out throughout mm-hmm, it and then mm-hmm. it's the 10 out of 10 copy everyone wants. I am going to agree with Annabelle. I'm going to give it an eight. I thought this book was just beautiful company. Like, you know, when you have a book that feels very warm to read mm. and almost like a friend in and of itself, like a very safe place to fall into. I very much felt like that about this book and I haven't felt like that about a book in a very long time. So it was nice to have that feeling back. But I think I give it an eight just because of my comparison with the other books. And I don't know, we've done through this and the rating system's getting stressful and I'm just going to put it at <laughs> By the way, guys, how's the irony that we've got an entire episode without really discussing Max, who really should have been one of the main characters. He really is the ghost of the book and of this episode. Thank you so much for listening to our November Book Club episode where we dissected the brilliant debut novel from Dolly Alderton. If you want to hear an interview with Dolly, we actually stole 45 minutes of her time last month. Just go back through the feed of Shameless episodes and you'll find her name. It was an amazing episode and a fascinating chat about her work and career so far. Coming up next month, our final book of 2020, but certainly not our final book ever, We are so stoked to announce our December pick is Transcendent Kingdom by Yar Jesse. To get your hands on that one, just head to our show notes. For more discussion about this book and so, so many more, please come and join our Facebook group. We are at Shameless Podcast Book Club. Thank you so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears for regular programming on Monday. Bye. Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.